0: If you have a copy of God's word, if you could turn with me uh, to Mark chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 19 uh, this morning. Uh, you'll notice we moved past the end of Mark chapter 10. I preached at the, on the end of Mark chapter 10 in the winter of 2019. If you're interested in that, you can find it on our podcast. This morning, we're moving on to Mark chapter 11 want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open this morning. Mark chapter 11 is very significant in that it begins the last week of Jesus' life. Begins what is commonly known as Passion Week. There are six, once you think about this, there are 16 chapters In the gospel of Mark. And so that means chapters 11 through 16 is only one week of Jesus' life. But it consumes nearly a third of the gospel of Mark. What does that tell you? It tells you that this is really significant. That this is really important. That this is it, so to speak. That what we are going to study over the next several weeks... Uh, it's the fulfillment, it's the climax, it's the pinnacle of Jesus' ministry. If you look at the beginning of Mark chapter 11, you'll notice that's what is known as the triumphal entry. I want to set this passage up that we're going to read this morning. It's known as the triumphal entry where Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. It's what we celebrate on Palm Sunday. Where is Jesus going when he comes into Jerusalem? Jerusalem. He's going to the temple. Look at verse 11. He enters Jerusalem, goes to the temple, looks around. Because it's late, he goes to Bethany with his disciples. And that is where our story picks up this morning. This is God's word, Mark chapter 11, 12 through 19. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold And those who bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written? uh, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priest and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him, because all the crowds were astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. This is the word of God. Let me pray. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to come and help us. Let's pray together. Father, we do need your help. I need your help Uh, this morning. um, Something going on with my voice i got a lot of talking to do today. You've called me to preach. You've called me to lead and to do this and to open up your word. And so would you sustain my voice? I pray for those that are listening this morning. We come and bring lots of different things into this room. I pray that you would meet every person here, that you would wake us up, that you would... uh, Put us on the edge of our seats um, as to what you want to teach us through this very challenging passage this morning. Teach all of us. Show us that we're a bigger mess than we realize. But at the same time, your grace and your mercy and your love is greater than we could possibly imagine. We ask that you would do these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In Mark chapter 11, we have what commentators call a Markan sandwich. We've seen it all throughout our study of the gospel of Mark. We see it again this morning. You have, uh, notice, look with me, verses 12 through 14. You have the bread of the sandwich, the cursing of the fig tree. Then you've got the meat in the middle, verses 15 through 19, where Jesus clears the temple. And then Mark comes back to the cursing of the fig tree. We won't look at these verses. But he comes back to it in verses 20 through 25. The cursing of the fig tree uh, is the bread of the sandwich. And the temple is the meat in the middle. The cursing of the fig tree is the metaphor. The temple it's the meaning of the passage. And what's interesting is Mark has... Performed or Mark. Jesus has performed 18 miracles in the Gospel of Mark. And this is the last miracle he will perform before the resurrection. But here's what's more significant it's the only miracle where Jesus that Jesus performs where he brings death instead of life. And that's significant. That is meant to jar us this morning. One thing I'm learning in the second half of the Gospel of Mark is Jesus is very confrontational. Way more confrontational than we think he is. He's confronted us in the past couple of weeks on marriage, divorce, remarriage, and sexuality. He's confronted us last week on our money. This morning, he's going to confront us on our fruitlessness. This passage, we'll see and we're going to look at under three headings. Number one, the picture of fruitlessness. Secondly, the signs or marks of fruitlessness. And then lastly, we'll look at the provision for fruitlessness. That's where we're headed. Let's look at our first heading, the picture of fruitlessness. Look at verses 12 through 14. So Jesus is with the disciples. They're in Bethany. They're going back to the temple. Remember verse 11. He went for a little bit and then left for Bethany. They're going back. Jesus is hungry. He sees a fig tree. He approaches it. And there are no, uh, there's no fruit on it. There's not anything on it. But look at verse 13, the end of verse 13. He found nothing but leaves... For it was not the season for figs. Are you listening? And then he, what does he do? He curses the fig tree. For it was not the season for figs. If you're listening, that sounds really strange and bizarre and irrational, doesn't it? Why curse a tree for not bearing fruit when it's not the time or the season to produce the fruit? It seems irrational until you dig deeper, until you understand something about the nature of fig trees. See, in the Middle East, uh, fig trees bore two kinds of fruits. As the leaves started to uh, come out in the spring, before the figs came out, the branches would start to produce these little nubs or knobs that were about the size of almonds, and they were abundant. And they were delicious and very good to eat. And so travelers, as they were traveling on their journey, they would find these trees and they would eat the nubs. And if you went up to a fig tree that had started to sprout leaves, but you did not find any delicious buds, you knew something was deeply wrong. You knew the tree was diseased or possibly dying on the inside, and so that. With that context, Jesus goes up, he sees the leaves, he's expecting to find the nubs, and he gets nothing. And he says, you appear to be fruitful. You look great on the outside, but you had no fruit. Remember, he's going to the temple. And Jesus seizes this opportunity for an object lesson with his disciples. He wants to give them a picture, a visual aid, a parable against hollow and fruitless religion that they will actually see with their own two two eyes when they get to the temple. And think about this idea of a fig tree being used as an object lesson. That's significant. It's not random. It's important. He didn't just choose any tree. He chose a fig tree. Why? Because all of the prophets, Hosea and Micah and Jeremiah and Joel, all talk about a fig tree, and a fig tree is used as a picture of Israel. A picture of God's people. So think about this. Think about how confrontational Jesus is being here. It's quite a triumphal entry, isn't it? The very few th- first thing that Jesus does is he goes to the people of God, the religious people, and he takes one of their national symbols and he curses it. And he curses the fig tree and it is to serve as a warning from, for them back in that time and it is to serve as a warning for us, the church, now. And you see the warning, don't you? The warning is against dead religion. The warning is against nominal Christianity. It's against being a Christian in name only. Friends, if this says anything, it is saying Jesus is opposed to looking good on the outside, being impressive and shiny but being deader than a doornail on the inside and being a fruitless Christian. And so then the question becomes, what kinds of fruits is Jesus looking for in our lives? Well, we could say lots of things here, but obviously one thing we could say is he's looking for the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, gentleness, and self control. Let me be very clear here. You are not saved by your goodness, you are not saved by being a good person or by your fruit. That's not what this passage is about. This passage is, um, and the Bible is clear that salvation is by grace alone through faith. But the Bible also says that true saving faith is never alone. Meaning that true saving faith produces fruit. To say it another way, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you have true saving faith, Jesus makes a difference in your life couple of questions. There are others, but here's some diagnostic questions. Have you ever began doing something simply because you love Jesus so much? So have you ever started doing something because you love Jesus? And then the reverse, have you ever stopped doing something Because of your relationship with Jesus and because you love him so deeply. Those questions will start to uncover the true condition of your heart. But perhaps the main fruit that Jesus is looking for, we could say, is the fruit of repentance. How do we know? Well, because Jesus in Luke chapter 13, you can look this up later, he tells another parable and he uses a fig tree And in that parable, uh, the owner goes to this fig tree looking for fruit year after year after year and finds none. And the owner says, cut it down. It's wasting space, taking up soil. And that vine dresser says, no, wait, let me work with it. Let's give it another year. And then if it doesn't have fruit, we'll cut it down. Again, those, the original audience, those standing before Jesus would not have missed The fig tree, they would have known that Jesus is talking about them. Israel, the people of God. And Jesus is saying, I am the vine dresser and I am looking for fruit in God's people. What is the fruit? Well, if you look at Luke chapter 13 in the context, it is the fruit of repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is seeing your sin and seeing your Savior. Repentance is in turning from your sin to your Savior. You see your sin, you see that, and realize you're a bigger mess than you thought. And then at the same time, in true repentance, you turn to Jesus and you apprehend the mercy and the grace of God and you realize that Jesus is far better and more gracious than you thought. You see, repentance... And faith is one of the main ways that God transforms you and changes you and grows you and makes you a fruitful Christian. And I think this is really good news, isn't it? Because what we learn is that the fruit Jesus is after is not perfection. Jesus is not after you never failing, never um, always getting it right, no, he's after repenting when you are wrong. You see, thinking, uh, think about Jesus uh, in Mark chapter 7 when he's talking to the Pharisees. Here's the thing Jesus is going after here. He's going after uh, those that praise God with their lips and with their mouth and they look good on the outside, but their hearts are far from him. Say it another way, Jesus is after integrity. He's after honesty and sincerity in your lives. He wants the outside of our lives to match the inside to match what's going on in our hearts. And when they don't, which is quite often, then don't be deceptive. Don't try to act better than you are or to cover it up and try to be really impressive. Instead, admit it and repent And turn to Jesus in repentance and faith. One of the greatest assurances that you really belong to Jesus is not your record of success, but it's what you do with your failure. But it's in your failure showing the fruit of repentance and running to Jesus and trusting in Him once again. Secondly, we see the signs and marks of fruitlessness in this passage. And so he tells the disciples this parable of the fig tree, and then they enter the temple. And the temple, think about it, it is to be the one place on this earth uh, where God is, and where people worship God, and where people can learn about God, and be drawn to him. And Jesus walks into the temple, and what does he find? He finds fruitlessness on display right before his very eyes, and Jesus gets angry. Verse 15. Remember, you get angry not about things you don't care about and that you're indifferent about. You get angry about things you're zealous about and things that you really love. And Jesus gets angry because he's zealous for the glory of God. And he starts driving people out. And he starts overturning tables. Let me give you some context to help you understand what's happening here. Remember, it's Passover. And so people are coming from all over the world. They're traveling great in the known world, traveling great distances. They go to Jerusalem and you make sacrifices to God. And so people traveling great distances were not going to uh, bring a sheep or an oxen or a lamb with them, that's too cumbersome, that's too burdensome, that's too inconvenience. And so what would the people do? They would show up to Jerusalem at Passover and they would buy an animal for sacrifice once they got to Jerusalem. Christian historian Josephus says that in 65 AD, listen to this, there were 255,000 lambs that were bought during Passover. That is a lot of people. And they would buy these animals for sacrifice. And if uh, you didn't have the right currency, you would exchange it so that you had the right currency. What I want you to see here, though, that it's not what was happening that angered Jesus so much. That was a, what was going on was a normal part of the Passover. It was necessary. What angered Jesus is not what was happening, but where it was happening. Three very important words. In the temple. Don't miss that. People make the point of this passage in the one in John chapter 2. They make it about how angry Jesus got. The point is not Jesus' anger. The point is what Jesus got angry about. And he gets angry about the fruitlessness of God's people that he sees in the temple. And so let's get more specific. What are the specific acts of fruitlessness that we see in this passage that Jesus gets angry about? There are several. Let's mention a couple. Let's walk through these. The first thing we see Jesus gets angry about is self-centeredness or being self-serving. Verse 17. You've made my temple a den of robbers. The chief priests and the scribes, they controlled the exchange rate and the service fees. And do you think when all of these hundreds of thousands of people were coming in to Jerusalem for Passover, do you think the first thing on their mind was like, I'm going to give everyone a deal this year. I want to cut them some slack. No. They were sticking it to the people. They were robbing the people, charging more than was necessary and making a fortune. They were serving themselves and robbing God. It was all about them. Did you know there is a way that you can be a Christian and go to church every single week and it be all about you? You can be a consumer that's solely focused on you and what you get out of it, on your emotions and your experiences and your preferences. And what we see here is that a mark of fruitlessness is being consumed with self and making worship all about you and not serving God and not serving the other people around you. We see another mark of fruitlessness is in the dis- in, or mark of fruitlessness and what Jesus gets angry about is in the disregard for God's authority. Look at verse 17. It is written, this is your house. No. He says, this is my house. Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 says, the Lord whom you will seek will suddenly come into his temple. That is this moment. God with skin on walks into his temple. And one commentator says, the only person who has the right to rearrange the furniture in his house is the owner of the the house. And Jesus is saying, this is my house I'm the owner of this house. Verse 18, that's why the religious leaders, how do you think that went over with them? They thought it was their house. And so Jesus comes in and he wants to rearrange the furniture and they want to kill him for it. And you know what? We do the exact same thing, don't we? You know, one of the marks of fruitlessness is you hate Jesus' authority and you refuse to submit to him. One of the marks of fruitlessness is when Jesus comes into our lives and he's quite good at this. He starts to rearrange the furniture in our lives and he starts to say things about how we use our sexuality and how we use our money and about forgiveness and about loving our enemies And we want to kick him out of the house. Refusing to submit and recognize God's authority is a mark of fruitlessness. Lastly, Jesus is angry about their lack of love and concern for the outsider. Look at verse 17. Jesus starts teaching them by quoting Isaiah 56, verses 6 and 7. Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? Every scholar agrees that all of this uh, buying of animals and exchanging of money was taking place in the outer courts of the temple, which was known as the outer courts of the Gentiles. Well, why would that make Jesus so angry? Well, because the Israelites, God's people, had been taught and told that they were to be a light to all of the nations. And the temple had a designated place for the Gentiles, for outsiders for the nations to come. And in that place, Gentiles could come and they could pray and they could seek God, they could make sacrifices, they could worship God. And in this passage, we learn that the only place they could go had been turned into a petting zoo by God's people. Jim Edwards, a commentator, says the Messiah was popularly expected to purge Jerusalem and the temple of the Gentiles, aliens, and foreigners. Jesus' actions, however, are exactly the reverse. Jesus came not to clear the temple of the Gentiles, but to clear the temple for them. And this should hit us. Because this passage puts on display the full picture of God's heart. It vividly tells us that God is a God for the nations. God is a God that welcomes people and brings them in. And that means if we are to follow Jesus, we are to be a people for the nations and a people that bring other people, people in God is deeply concerned in how he's presented to the world. He wants the world to know that he is welcoming and gracious. And so if we claim to follow Jesus and our attitude is one of exclusiveness and self-righteousness, and if our attitude is Those people are not welcomed here in our circles. Jesus doesn't like that. And he actually says that it is a mark of fruitlessness. Let's move to our last point. You think my voice can handle it? This is the good stuff, so I sure hope so. This last point is the provision for our fruitlessness. And so Jesus, he he calls this quite a scene. Verse 18, they want to kill him. Look at verse 27, if you have your Bible open, the authorities come and they basically say, who do you think you are? By whose authority do you do these things? You must understand the temple was a huge deal. It was their symbol of hope. People were coming from all over to worship God and to enter into his presence. The temple was the meeting place between heaven and earth. This is a huge deal, what Jesus is doing. And in John chapter 2, he visits the temple. And in that passage, it says that he turns to the religious leaders and he says, destroy this temple... And in three days, I will raise it up. And the people look at Jesus and they think he's crazy. And Jesus just lets it hang there. And not even the disciples understand. And they will not understand until Jesus is crucified and dies on a cross. And then three days later, he is raised from the dead. You see what Jesus is saying, don't you? Jesus is saying... I'm the temple of God. I am the place where God dwells. Worship me and you worship God. The physical temple is just a foreshadowing of me. Jim Edwards again, commentator. Mark portrays the clearing of the temple not as its restoration, but as its dissolution. That's why, verse 18, the crowds are astonished. They're amazed at what Jesus is saying. But what about the sacrifices for our sin, you say? Okay, I get the part of the temple. Jesus is the temple. What do we do with our sin? Isn't that the entire point of the Passover uh, festival? In Mark chapter 15, it says... That Jesus breathed his last. And when he breathed his last, the curtain of the temple was torn completely in two from top to bottom. What does that mean and why is it a big deal? Well, let me explain. The temple was a picture of the Garden of Eden. And the temple curtain was full of all of these pictures. Uh, flowers, pictures of a garden. Flowers and angels and fruits and gold and jewels. Jewels all that echo the garden of eden and think about eden what was eden like it was a place where god dwelled with humanity they were reconciled and they lived together in peace and then in genesis chapter 3 sin disrupted all of that and there was this huge curtain we could say wall put between god and humanity and god actually kicked us out of the garden And once a year, the day of atonement, the high priest would kill an animal, sprinkle blood, go behind the curtain, and get into the presence of God for the sins of the people. And at the moment Jesus dies on the cross, this massive curtain is ripped from top to bottom. Galatians chapter 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. See the connection? Good news of the gospel is that we will no longer be cut down and cursed like this fig tree we see in this passage because Jesus became the curse on the tree for us. Jesus was struck down. He was judged for all of our fruitlessness. And because of that, he became, as Hebrews chapter 10 verse 11 says, the once and for all sacrifice for our sins. Do you see it? The temple is not just ruined. Jesus made it obsolete. Now now you see why they're so upset. Because Jesus is saying now for anyone who believes in me, not just the Jews, you can come and you can connect to God. I am the high priest. I'm the one who gives you peace with God and reconciles you with him. The barrier, the curtain that existed is completely gone and it's gone for good. Now through faith, everyone has access to the presence of God. What's your story this morning? It doesn't matter your story. It doesn't matter who you are. Maybe you're a gossip, an addict, a prostitute, an adulterer, or a minister. The curtain has been torn from top to bottom, and the barrier is gone, and there is forgiveness for you in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Mark invites all of us this morning to the foot of the cross, To see Jesus, the one who became a curse for us. The one who lost the infinite love of the Father because of his infinite love for you. That's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for dying the death that we deserve. Thank you for living the life that we could never live because of our sin. You are so good. Would you forgive us for our fruitlessness? Holy Spirit, give us the grace of repentance. Holy Spirit, produce in us the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.